so glad you guys are here. Otherwise, I'd be here by myself. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Well, praise God for that. We're here to continue on in the book of Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. If you remember last week, we stopped at, uh, and I, I got a new outline for you guys. I just couldn't resist. Um, but uh, we'll hold on to that other one, and, uh, and I'll, I'll keep you guys informed as to what's going to happen. But we, uh, as we started going through the book of Philippians, as I mentioned to you, Paul is in a prison. He is writing to the people in Philippi. He has a deep emotional connection to uh, the people in Philippi. He really loves them. He, he cares for them. And he's very joyful that uh, they even participated with him in sharing the gospel and participated with him in giving a financial need and participate with him in just everything else that he was doing. These people were not a very rich company, or excuse me, uh, city. They were not a very rich people, but they gave as to as much as they could and beyond, and even more so. They loved to be able just to be a part of what Paul was doing, because these people, as and, and as we talked about last week, there were three main individuals uh, that were saved under Paul's ministry. If you remember, it was Lydia, the seller of fine purple. God opened her heart to receive the message. And then there was the uh, young lady that was possessed by a demon that was fortune-telling and raising money for people. And, uh, and so what they did is they, uh, what, what Paul did is commanded this, this spirit to leave her. And if you remember correctly, she knew who Paul was. They, she knew that Paul was bringing salvation through Jesus Christ. She knew, but she was not herself saved until the Holy Spirit revealed it to her and opened her heart and removed that spirit, uh, the demonic spirit, from her. And then we also remember the jailer, the jailer that was in, in uh, holding Paul and Silas in prison. And while they were in prison, Paul was, was singing joyfully. And uh, the prisoner, the prison guard, him and his whole household were saved. So there are three individuals that are recorded by the author of Acts, which is Luke. And he records that to show us that there is, uh, there is a movement that Paul is, is uh, involved in because of the Holy Spirit. And, and Acts, I think, should be called Luke chapter 2 or Luke or 2nd Luke, because Luke is 1st Luke and then you have 2nd Luke. But uh, they call it Acts of the Apostles. Uh, you, you really don't hear of all the apostles, really. Uh, Simon Peter, maybe, and uh, Paul, somewhat. Uh, some people call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Well, that's true too. But throughout the book of Acts, we're seeing the, uh, this movement that God is doing. You can't stop this movement. It's an unstoppable movement. And you, you should start to realize that people are getting saved. We're going to go back to the book of Acts today as well to talk a little bit more about our topic today. What is Christian fellowship? But what I'm trying to get across is how Paul established this church in this city that was occupied by Roman guards, by Roman army men, people that had retired there. And they had all these various gods and all kinds of things that were going on there. And Paul went there, was led there by the Holy Spirit. He was prevented from going to other places, but God led him to this place here. And Lydia was the first person, and then the other two, as I mentioned. And from that... From that, the testimony of these three people and many others that came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, the church grew and started to develop. Beautiful church, loved the people. Paul was so filled with joy. Even in prison, he was filled with joy. This book, Philippians, is sometimes called the gospel of joy or the, the letter, the joyful letter. But if we start taking it apart, you start to realize there's really nothing joyful about this letter when you start to realize what's happening here. And this is why I've called this series in Philippians, Finding Joy in Darkness. 
And there are a lot of things that, that are not happening, that are happening in the world right now that are not giving us joy. A lot of things in the world with our politics, with our states, with our own finances, with our own problems at home. You cannot be happy. You cannot be joyful, it seems like, in and of itself, except if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit. Remember, the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Those three things, love, joy, peace. And it is a characteristic, it is a fruit of the Holy Spirit that a genuine believer has in spite of all the things that are going on, in spite of everything that's happening. And, and this joy is found within the fellowship of the people. Now, when we start talking about fellowship, we start talking about uh, what Paul was trying to get across here. If we go back to Philippians chapter 1, Paul says, Paul says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Remember, servants, these are bond servants, adulases. They were sold into slavery. They, they themselves committed themselves to serve Jesus Christ as their master. They didn't want any pay for it. They didn't want anything. They just wanted to please their master, and they did it willingly. It was a servanthood leadership that Paul and Silas and Timothy and all those that followed along were able to uh, show and express in the ministry that they did. And then we said to all the saints, and, and I mentioned to you, saints is not somebody that's elevated above you or anybody else. A saint is synonymous with a believer. If you're a believer, you're a saint. If you're a saint, you're a believer. A genuine believer is one that is called apart and pulled aside, and now you are in the service of of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what he says to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. So we start to see that Paul has directed this letter to Philippi. He's directed to the genuine believers. He's directed it to the people that are, uh, that are willing to serve alongside him. And he also directs it to the overseers, which are the pastors, overseers, episkopos, or the seers that are over. Uh, it, it's the same word as, it's the same Word, it's not the same word, but it's synonymous with a pastor or an overseer or a bishop, a caretaker, a pastor, a shepherd, and that's they're all the same thing. So, an overseer is a pastor, we'll see that in, in Acts as well. And the deacons, deacons were table waiters. Deacons are, are the people that, if you were to go to a restaurant, they're not the waiter that takes your order and you give a tip to, it's not the person that's actually cooking, that's the chef. The waiter is the person that brings you your food, but the table waiter is the guy you probably don't even know or recognize, and you don't even acknowledge him. He's the guy that, before you get there, cleans the table off, picks up all the dishes, and he's the guy you're probably mad at and saying, you know, would you please hurry up? I'm hungry. You know, he's, he's the guy that's trying to get things ready for you. And then when you leave, he's the guy that comes up, and, and in spite of all the work that he's done, you only recognize the waiter, or maybe the chef, or the maitre d', the person that's called you in. We never, ever look upon, hardly ever, I should say, upon the actual table waiter. That's a deacon. See, a deacon is one that is willing to serve and take care of the tables, and take care of the facilities, or take care of the people. They were not people that were put into leadership position. They became leaders much later. And within the church, as it transformed into what we have today, the leaders somehow, the deacons somehow become the leaders of the church, and they tell the pastor, the overseer, what to do. And if they don't like the pastor, they get rid of him, bring in another one. We'll get one that will follow our direction, our lead. Paul is addressing, he's, he's addressing us. First and foremost, as a servant, as a slave, he's addressing those that are overseeing the work as servants and slaves. He's addressing the deacons, which are servants and slaves. He's addressing those that are called aside the saints. That's who we are. 
That's who we are. That's who Paul directs all his letters to, always to the saints. And, and he's very thankful. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now you said, well, Pastor Saw, I thought you were going to be talking about fellowship. I don't see the word fellowship in there. How do you get the word fellowship out of what you just read? Well, let me just go back and read this again. Because he, Paul, first of all, is saying, you know, I, I'm, I'm remembering you. I thank God for you. I pray for you. Always praying for you. This is Paul's cry. This is, this is the pastor's cry to his congregation. I always pray for you. I'm thanking God for you. I'm thanking God for your partnership, your partnership in the gospel. I'm thanking God for everything that you've been doing right alongside from giving, from serving, from attending, from being part of the fellowship, for however you give, contribute, whatever you do as you serve, we recognize our volunteers once a year. We, we, we thank God. I thank God for that type of ministry that's being done here, for how you organize and coordinate and bring things together to make them happen. That is my prayer, as Paul would pray, for you. I thank God because of that. And it brings us joy. It, it brought Paul joy. He says, you know, thank God I trained these guys. Now I don't have to be there. They're doing this all on their own. That is a proud papa. Amen. <laughs> You know, when your kid can do things on his own, when he can tie his shoes on his own, when he can, you know, do things on his own, when he can ride a bike on his own, when he can get a job and bring some money in on his own, <laughs> you know, when, when he can fend for himself, that is a proud papa. I remember one year, our kids asked us, what can we do for you? What is it that we can do for you guys because you guys have done so much for us? And my response was, you know, just go and be productive citizens. Get a good job. Work hard. Get yourself a place. You know, that will make us proud. It's not what you can give us. It's what you can do because of us. How we have blessed you. Now bless everyone else. And, and that is what Paul is joyful about. And he's particularly joyful about this one thing. He says, you know, I... I, I making all these prayers, my prayers with joy, because, verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. The word partnership that is used here is the word koinonia. Koinonia is used uh, several times in the New Testament. It is used probably over 30 times with this one particular, um, with this one particular foundation, I guess you would say, or basis of it. Koinonia is fellowship or partnership, as he would put it here. It's a partnership. It's a, it's a gathering of peoples that, that come together. And, and so what, what, Paul is, what Paul is doing is as he's talking to them about this, the, the fellowship, he's saying, I want to acknowledge the fact that you guys have partnered with me. See, fellowship, koinonia, has been defined as two fellows in a ship, basically, is what it is. Two fellows in a ship. You have two people with the same goal, with the same purpose, with the same outcome, with the same direction. It's this partnership. And, and this is what Paul is talking about. He says, this is the fellowship that I'm, I'm having with, with uh, the believers. We call fellowship just about everything. Every time we come together, yes, it's true, we share a meal together. Yes, it's true, we'll, have, we'll share a cup of coffee together. Yes, it's true that we will do uh, uh, certain things together. We'll go out and share life together. But when we talk about genuine Christian fellowship, it's more than just acknowledging. It's more than just coffee and cake. It's more than just the, the, the things that we do in the fellowship hall. That's why I intentionally call it, uh, we're going to go out and do some fellow shaping. 
because really the fellowshipping takes place only amongst the genuine believers. Let me go ahead and try to go through this with you and share with you what it is that God had intended from the very beginning. Now, one of the things that we find in the Old Testament is God has always had this desire to build a family, to have this, this community of believers. In the Old Testament, God always viewed His people as His bride. He was the bride man. He was the, he was the groom, and the, 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 the church, or Israel at that time, was His bride. And He looked upon them as His bride. He, he talked about their, His betrothed to Israel and, and how she was a bride to him. He also looked at Israel in the agricultural terms as a vine. This is a vine that he planted and he cared for and he took care of it. He also described Israel as a flock. He was the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. We are his sheep. And so God took, had these metaphors that would describe his people as his very own, his bride, how he loved his bride, how he cared for his bride, how he nurtured his bride, his vineyard, how he cared for his vineyard, how he nurtured his vineyard, how he took care of the weeds and made sure that pests and all these other things didn't get upon it, and his sheep. He, he cared for his sheep. Remember, Jesus used the, the parable of the 99 sheep and one was missing. He cares for his lost sheep, and that's who God is. Now, in the New Testament, Paul comes along and he starts using, a, and he uses these words. He uses that uh, in the New Testament, we hear that the church is his bride. We hear that the church is his flock. We hear that the church is his vineyard. I am the vine, you are the branches, Jesus says. But Paul does something very peculiar, very different than the Old Testament. All of a sudden, those metaphors that we're using in the Old Testament as, as we do now, he adds another one. He says, you are a body. You are a body. You see, what Jesus Christ wanted to do, if you read in John 17 with me in your outlines, verses 20 and 21, as Jesus is praying to the Father, before He is crucified, before He dies on the cross, His main goal was to try to get the church to become one. And He says, I do not ask for these only. He's talking about the twelve. He's praying over them. He's praying that God just reveals to them, uh, well, more, more importantly, that the Holy Spirit show them what God has already revealed to them, to show them and bring to remembrance everything that Jesus Christ had talked about. That's why he said, I'm going to send you a counselor, a comforter, and he is going to, number one, he's going to convict the world of sin. Number two, he's going to bring to remembrance all that I have shared with you. And then Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. You see that? Just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The way genuine fellowship, the oneness, the commonness, the one thing that we have in common is Jesus Christ. Now, there are a lot of commonness in various parts of the world. There's a lot of common. There's, there's probably one of the closest uh, activities that you can come to this type of fellowship. I'm talking about biblical fellowship, but I'm talking about the fellowship that people so long and desire for. That kind of fellowship, and probably one of the closest ones that you can find to biblical fellowship, is sitting in a bar. I know it's a bad example, but to be honest with you, if the church doesn't provide genuine fellowship, guess what? The bar does. Because what happens at a bar? You sit at a bar, you have a lot of things in common, you have a lot of drinks in common, you have a 
overseer in a sense, a bartender, that'll listen to your problems, that'll give you some advice. You have other people that come around you and they comfort you when you're down and they lift you up when you're happy and everybody's just a joyous fellowship is what it is. And it is a group of people that have something in common. Now, it's sad to think that that's where most people find their genuine fellowship. And so when we talk about genuine Christian fellowship, we have to be careful that what we do here is all centered on Christ. And as I kiddingly said last week, you know, we get together sometimes we have coffee and cheese, man. And bottom line, it's kind of what I, for those of you who don't know what that is, it's coffee and gossip. And for the most part, a lot of times that's what happens within a church. When we get together, we have coffee and we pray for people. Well, we're saying we're praying for people, but basically we're talking about people and we're sharing about other people's faults and failures instead of helping them or trying to encourage them. Now, there's a, there's a way of helping one another. We, you know, we need to go help brother so-and-so. We need to really talk to him and let's go out and talk to him. There's something wrong. And Jesus says, if a brother offends you, go talk to him. You know, you need to. If he doesn't listen to you, take somebody else. If he doesn't listen to that, take him to the church. And so there are things that we do in the fellowship. But Jesus Christ was focused on building one body, one people. Look at this next verse. Paul spells it out in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 and 13. For just as the body is one, you see that, and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of the one spirit. Jesus Christ's prayer was answered when the church became one. And as they gathered together, they left behind everything, all their thoughts, all their ideas, all their religions and everything else, all their artifacts, and they became one in the spirit in Jesus Christ. And so this is, this is who they became. They became one person. And Christ's church became the one bride, the one body, the one, the one flock. And so when Jesus Christ was talking about this fellowship, he says, this is what it is. See, genuine fellowship is, are those, as 1 Corinthians six seventeen says, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one with him. We are one in Jesus Christ because of what he did. Now, as I was saying earlier, the verb fellowship or to fellowship is found in the infinitive form. It's koinoneo. Koinoneo means to fellowship. This is what we do. And we, we come together and we, we participate. And it's used eight times to share or to participate or to partnership, kind of like in the verse that we're reading today. See, so the word uh, partnership in verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, Paul is saying because of your koinoneo because of your fellowship, because of what we share in common, your partnership. So, so you start to get a little bit clearer understanding of what fellowship is. Fellowship is this partnership, is this oneness, is we participate together. And over 30 times, the word is probably used more the way we are familiar with it, which is koinonea. Koinonea is the sharing, the common uh, contributing partnership type of thing. The, the, the thing about uh, this partnership or this fellowshipping, most of the time it's used in what we can share together. Either it's, you know, it's either financial 
or it's something that we have that we can give you or that we can bless you with or we can bless one another. The concept then of fellowship is this partners in common life. And if you look at your outlines, I have there a few words for you. It's a common contribution to one another. It's common contribution to one another, contributing to one another, uh, partaking of things that we have in common and we share with one another. We share a meal. And this is why many times people use that sharing of a meal as a fellowship because that's what we do. I love our potlucks, you know, which is has nothing to do with luck. You guys intentionally, you guys intentionally make some good food. Uh, I don't call that luck at all. I said, you guys are skilled. We should call it a skilled meal, you know, <laughs> just the food that, that comes here. You know, as one of the things that happened here just recently, my neighbor passed away and every year I would take him tamales and, and I just found out. He says, yeah, he loved your tamales. I go, I really, I, I hope you guys enjoyed it. He says, we never, you, we never, you gave him any. I go, what? He hid them from us. I go, what are you talking about? Yeah, he had the, the only time we knew he had tamales is when you could smell them in the place. What are you cooking? Nothing. <laughs> and and that's, that's the partnership where we gather. But you see, that even though it is nice to share that food, that's not genuine Christian fellowship. When we contribute to one another, either with, with our goods, and that's all they had back then was their goods and their gifts and their abilities. But financially, we give to one another. We, we share with one another. That's why the church continues to exist, because of your fellowshipping with us, with your finances and your resources and your abilities, and how you give to the church. That is genuine fellowship. It's a common cause of proclaiming Jesus Christ. So it's not just the contributing, contributing but it's what we're doing. We have a common cause, and that common cause is to proclaim Jesus Christ. Amen? Proclaim Him here. Proclaim Him at your home. Proclaim Him anywhere you go. Everywhere you go. Proclaiming Him and who He is. That's genuine fellowship. It's a common purpose of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's identical to what I just said a little while ago, but it's a common purpose. You see, genuine Christian fellowship is common contribution, common cause, common purpose, common truth about Jesus Christ, who Jesus Christ is. And number four or number five, a common revelation from God. This is God's revelation to us. We believe in God's revelation and we, we believe in this common revelation. We, we believe it, we read it, and we study it, we memorize it, we proclaim it. And so we have one thing in common, which is least God himself who puts it together for us through Jesus Christ. Like the partnership and commonality and the sharing of the fellowship that goes on within the Trinity. As what Jesus Christ said here in John chapter 17. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Genuine fellowship. When it happens within the church, people say there's something different about that group. There's something different about that group. It's kind of like, I hate to use that analogy again, but it's kind of like a bar. I like that bar because there, there's something different. People there are just like me. They're either vets or they're iron workers or they're farmers or whatever the case may be. We have something in common and they share stories and they help each other and they encourage one another. That's what the church needs to be. That type of a fellowship. It's got to be based upon Jesus Christ. And it's interesting because without fellowship, without fellowship, you wouldn't hear about the gospel. See, because when I heard about the gospel, I wanted to t tell somebody else, hey, you need to share this with me. You need to come here and, and hear a part of what it is that I'm doing and what's happened in my life. And, and you share it with somebody else. And we bring them in. You see, the gospel message is not just to get you saved, but it's to develop this fellowship. 
is to grow this fellowship, is to bring people into this common understanding. Now you say, well, why, why here? Well, I mean, this is a good place. I think it is, right? <laughs> there's no place quite like this place anywhere near this place. So this must be the place. But, but you know, there's other fellowships, as long as they're fellowshipping in the Lord and for the right thing and the right reason. And so we, we cannot stop sharing this fellowship. And if we're going to talk about fellowship, we have to talk about what fellowship really is and the kind of partnership and the commonality. And you can't just fellowship with just anybody. You can't. As a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, it says this, Do not be, what? Unequally yoked with unbelievers. You know, you might have a lot of things in common with people. You might have a lot of things that they, they work together, that you understand each other. But the Bible is very clear. Don't become commonly yoked. Now, somebody asked me, what does that mean, commonly yoked? In, in, well, in the New Testament, it was very simple to understand. An animal is yoked on a wooden yoke. It's, it's this bar that goes across the top, and you hook, you hook it up to both the animals, both of them, in order to get enough strength to pull the plow or whatever it is that you're pulling. And then it has places where you can attach reins to it, so you can kind of guide the animal, either forward, faster, whatever the case may be. Whoa, you know, type of a thing. Now, it was just common sense. You don't put an ox and a donkey together. You know, the donkey would stop and yeah, I ain't going nowhere. And the ox would say, come on, we got to pull together. And you don't put a horse and a rat. You know, you can see the problems. You put either two donkeys together, you put either two horses together, or you put two oxes together. Okay? Not that I'm calling you Christians, oxes and horses and donkeys. I'm not calling you that. <laughs> I'm just using that as a metaphor. That's exactly what Paul had said. Do not be unequally yoked. And it made sense to the people. Duh. I see the damage it does, what happens with all the people. I see the damage it does, so we don't want to do that. For what partnership, Paul goes on to say, has righteousness with lawlessness? How can righteousness, God's perfect, pure righteousness, be in partnership with something that's lawless? And this is a very good example. You might have... Two people in partnership in a business. They both do the same thing. And, you know, because you want to be righteous, you want to be doing things according to the books, you want to do things as the Lord has called you to do, and you say, you know what, I've got to be honest, I've got to find my taxes, I've got to do this, i got to do, you know, all these other things. And then you join up with somebody who says, you know what, forget about all of that. You know, we don't need to do, you know, the government don't need my money. I, why do they have to know what I make? You know, and all these other things. And you'll, you'll, right off the bat, you will just not be starting off right. Amen? And so... What partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Because lawlessness is going to do everything to break the law. It's going to do everything to try to get over. One of the things I've found out in my addiction is the more I think I got over, the further I get behind. And the more I think I just made one up, one up, nope, I just got fell that much behind. Or, Paul goes on to say, what fellowship has light with darkness? You cannot marry somebody in the darkness if you're in the light. You cannot bind yourself with the friendship. You, you know, it's okay to understand these people, maybe work with them, but to bind yourself with them, this fellowship that we're talking about, you cannot do it. What accord has Christ with Belial? I've said this many times before. Belial, by the way, is another word for Satan. You know, you go, you go to Google, you Google it and ask how many religions there are in the world, and Google will say something to about 4,800 religions, and a bunch of offshoots off of that. But the Bible teaches that there's only two. It's either God or Satan. Christ or Belial. That's it. It's Jesus Christ and everything else. And there aren't all these various ways of getting to heaven. There aren't all these various ways of being able to reach God. It's either Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. That's just truth. 
And so either you're focused on God through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, or you're focused on the world. And so what, what Paul is saying, how is this that we can share this kind of, this kind of life together, you know? Or, or, or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. This common fellowship cannot be with anybody else except for other genuine believers. You know, and, and I know. So genuine fellowship is that which belongs to the light. Genuine fellowship is what you receive and what you experience. And there are people on the outside looking in and they're saying there's something different about that group of people. There's something different about, you know, what's going on in there. There's something different about, and that's what Jesus Christ prayed for. Then the world will know that you sent me, God. You sent me. And then that's how they're going to know. And so uh, this base, the basis of fellowship, the foundation for fellowships on the back of your outline foundation what makes fellowship possible is that we all share salvation that's what makes it possible this genuine fellowship that we're talking about that paul is sharing with us this genuine fellowship the basis of it the foundation for it is salvation because when you're saved you understand what what god has done for you when you've when you've understood that you were a sinner when you understand that there was no way that you can actually earn your way to heaven, when you understand that it only took the blood of Jesus Christ, and when you understand that you accepted that by faith, and when you understand that when you did that, it changed your life, it transformed your life, you were born again. You became a new creation. When you understand that, and then everything else makes sense. I can see why you guys go to church on Sunday every Sunday. I can see why you do that. I remember when that happened to both my wife and I at the same time. We were 30 years old, and we started going to church every Sunday, every Sunday. And, of course, my family on Sundays, we barbecued, and we got drunk. We had parties and everything else. I'm not going to be a part of that anymore. They'd laugh at me and all kinds of stuff, and I started going to church every Sunday. And I says, you know, well, we'll come back in the evening. We'll have dinner with you guys. And so that's what we did until one day the church said, the people from the church says, so are you guys going to come back tonight for Sunday night service? I go, you guys got church on Sunday night? He goes, yeah, on Wednesdays too. Wednesdays too? He goes, yeah. And I go, I guess. You know, I couldn't get enough. Like some of you, I, I got to be there. I, can't, I couldn't get enough. I, I went back on Sunday night. I went back on Wednesday night. They, they would have something on Friday night. On Saturday morning were men's breakfasts. You know, I was there. I craved that fellowship. That which I thought I was receiving from the world, I craved it. You were designed. You were designed for fellowship. Believer, and if you don't get it filled by the Holy Spirit, by God himself, guess what? Satan's right there to help you find some kind of fellowship that is not genuine. It's a false fellowship. It's a false basis. And when I understood that I was decrepit, my pastor says to me, you know, says, why do you want to bring your kids to this church? I said, because I don't want them going to hell. And he says to me, what about you? He says, it's too late for me. I've, I've already done things. I've seen things. I, you know, I've... You, you, places I've been, you, you just, I'm going to hell. I don't want my kids to go there. My pastor said to me, you know what? I don't want you going to hell either. And when he shared the grace of God with me, I says, if, that, if that's true, if that can happen, I'll do it right now. And, that's, and I'm all in exactly. And that's exactly what happened. I was all in. I was all in. And, and from that day forward, I recognized that I had something different than what my family and friends had. But I had it with these people. It was, it was awesome, and it was great, and it was growing, and it continues to grow. 
as we share this with each other and we share with one another. The foundation of fellowship is the salvation that we've learned. It's not a feeling. It's not even theological. It's a reality and it's a certainty and it's, a, it's something that God has set you in. You are in this fellowship. And the great thing about this fellowship is you can go to other churches and you can experience it because there are genuine believers that are in this fellowship. Sometimes they don't even have to tell you that they're a Christian, right? Sometimes you don't even have to know what church they're going to. It's all of a sudden it's like, you're a brother, aren't you? He says, yeah, are you? He says, yeah, all right. And you guys hug each other and praise God. And you talk a little bit about Jesus and talk about the Bible. It's just that type of fellowship. That's what it becomes. You see, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, John said this, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. You see, that which we seen, what did we see? We saw Jesus Christ. That which we have heard, we heard him proclaim to us, and we've seen the miracles. That which we proclaim also now to you. We want you to know what we've seen and what we heard. We want you also to know what we've experienced. Now we're proclaiming it to you. Why? Because you too may have this koinonia with us, this fellowship, this partnership, so we can serve together, grow together, have this common interest together. We can contribute together. We can, we can do all these things in one because we're one body. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. That's where it starts. Genuine fellowship. John 13, 35 says, but by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another, love is so key to fellowship. Love is a big part of fellowship. Love is needed in the fellowship. Forgiveness is needed. You see, we're all sinners. Somebody once said to me, he says, I don't want to go to church. Why not? I, says, I don't want to be a hypocrite. Well, you know what? We're all hypocrites. That's why we come to church. See, if I was perfect, I don't have to be here. You know, we, all of us show up here because we're not perfect. Amen. And, you know, I guess if you're perfect, yeah, you shouldn't be there either because you're going to mess us all up. <laughs> or we're going to mess you up. You know, if you're perfect, keep going, you know, because this is a place for non-perfect people. And when I recognized and I understood that, you know, I'm not here trying to tell you something that I'm perfect or done anything. I've just learned how to depend on the grace of God and what he's done for me. See, 1 John says what we have heard, what we have seen, these are things that they understood of Jesus Christ and they wanted other people to see it as well. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. By this. And John goes on to say in chapter one, uh, 1 John uh, 1, 5 and 7, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. This kind of echoes what Paul said a little while ago. What does darkness have to do with light? You can't have fellowship with righteousness and unholiness. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sins. Beloved, a stern warning from the word of God. If you say that you have fellowship with God, if you say that you're working in, walking in the light, if this is what you proclaim, and if this is what you preach, and if this is what you, you say you believe, then don't walk in the darkness. Don't try to fellowship or grow or develop with those in the darkness. Well, maybe by my example, if I pray and, you know, uh, bad character always, always brings down good, good people. Bad character, the Bible says, affects good character. And it is the bad character that brings people down. And I'm not saying you can't do that. But to, to 
live vicariously, as I mentioned this last week, and vicariously meaning, you know, okay, I'm not going to do what you do, but man, whatever you do sure looks like fun. Man, I, you know, I wish I could do that. I'm not going to do that. But you kind of get the, the emotions and the feelings, and you live vicariously through somebody else by watching them. That's why you hang out with them. And then you say, but I'm not, not going to do that. It's almost the same as doing it yourself. It is. Or some people hang out with some people like this, so they can say, well, at least I'm not as bad as this guy. See, I'm, I'm a little bit better. I'm, at least I'm not as bad as so-and-so. And if you were to stop and think about it, nobody's as bad as that guy. You know, and then so we, we kind of elevate ourselves. The Bible is clear, beloved. If you are walking in the fellowship, if you're walking in the light, stay away from the darkness. The two cannot go together. You know, you, you walk into a dark room, turn the light on, and the darkness isn't going to be there. You can't expect the darkness to be there. If you walk into a lit room and the lights turn off, you can't expect the light to be there. It just doesn't work that way. Are you going to have darkness or are you going to have light? You can't have both, I guess, in the shades or shadows. You can get a little technical with me about the physics of how, the, how that works. But bottom line is we're talking about darkness and light. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. That's what builds our fellowship. So the results of genuine fellowship, here's what happens. If you want to turn with me to Acts chapter 2, it's also in your outlines. But in Acts chapter 2, Peter has just got up and he preached the message. He proclaimed a huge message. People were cut to the heart. You killed this man. You murdered him. You and your leaders murdered Jesus Christ. And people were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. Now, Peter didn't say, okay, how many of you guys would like to accept this message? Jesus Christ, no. The heart was cut and they responded, what must we do? And Peter says, repent. Repent and be baptized. That's what you need to do. And repentance is not just saying, okay, I repent. Repentance is the whole change of life. Being born again is what we call it. Being a new creation. And the evidence is your life. The evidence is what happens because of that. The evidence is what your life used to be like, but now what your life is like. And so therefore, in this case, I'm going to start in verse 36 of chapter 2. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and Peter and the rest and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So they received the word, were baptized and were added that day about 3,000. Look at verse 40 once again. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generations. You'll hear me talk about this crooked generation. And I'll exhort you about this crooked generation. And I'll plead with you to use many other words and witness uh, exhorting you to save yourselves from this crooked generation. You've heard me talk about the, the reset, the great reset. You've heard me talk about the damage the schools are doing to our children. You've heard me talk about this crooked generation, this wicked generation on abortion. You've heard me talk about all these things that people are just saying, oh, well, you know, if, the, if that's what they believe, they can do what they want. No. 
You've heard me talk about what happened in, in uh, 2010 and how the elections that we had in Prop 8, is, is marriage going to be between a, a man or a woman? And all of California, most of California says, no, it's between a man and a woman, not between a man and a man and a woman and a woman. It, it's, it's, this is law. We all agreed on that. We voted on it. It passed. And they said, no, it can't be that way. They took it to the Supreme Court. Nine people said, okay, it's, it's unconstitutional, so now it's legal for gay marriages to take place. And, and they, their argument was, we don't want to destroy you guys. We, we want you guys to keep your marriages the way they are. We want nothing bad. We just want the same rights and privileges. Look at us 10 years later. I mean, they are forcing you to call them by something else, not a boy or a girl or he or she. They are forcing you to do things for their community, if it's a, even if it's against your uh, religious rights. They are forcing you. you know, and they have destroyed the family. This crooked generation, save yourself from it. Do not be partakers of it. If you're a genuine believer, you cannot be partakers of this crooked generation. And you've heard me over and over again discuss on these plans and these bills and all these things that uh, the people are voting on now. Abortion is going to be legal now. It's not even called abortion anymore. I mean, it's still abortion, but you can have an abortion if the laws pass weeks after the baby is born. Now, if I remember correctly, that used to be called murder. Now it's going to be legal. I mean, it's already murder in the womb. Uh, you, know, you know, the most dangerous place for a child in some of these political parties is the womb. Because if you just don't want that child, then just get rid of it. This dark and crooked generation. And Peter was pronouncing it to the people. And he was telling them, this is why Jesus Christ came on the cross. To stop your heart and, and break your heart. And to cut your heart to, so, so you can part from this wicked darkness that we have. Because, you see, inside of us, each one of us, we are sinners. And we gravitate towards sin. All of us are sinners. We've all failed. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. All of us have messed up. None of us is righteous. None of us is perfect. Paul says in Romans 3.10 that none of us seek after God. That's why Jesus Christ came on this planet, to show us that we need Jesus Christ. That's why he died on the cross, because I was going to die for my sin. And he redeemed me. He redeemed those that are his. And he brought me into this fellowship. And he says, this is why I came on the, to this earth, because you're a sinner. You're, you're, you're going to die by the wrath of God. You're going to go to hell. And if you, something doesn't happen, if, if you're not propitiated for, if you're not paid for, if somebody doesn't pay your sin, you're going to be cast out for all eternity. And I placed my faith in Jesus Christ that day in front of that pastor. Both my wife and I says, I believe that. And I trust that. And I accept that with all my heart. And it's changed my life ever since. And that's the gospel message that Peter was proclaiming. He says, this man that you guys killed, he, they were cut to the heart. And then what do I do? Repent. Stop living the life that you're living. Like if it doesn't matter. Because it matters. Stop thinking that everything is okay. It's not okay. Stop thinking that, you know, maybe later. No, you, you don't know if you have a later. I know the older I get, I know my later is getting a lot shorter and shorter. <laughs> you don't know. And so they were added. I mean, people were cut to the heart when they see the truth, when they see the genuine fellowship, when they understand their sinfulness, when they understand Jesus Christ died for them, and he proclaimed this crooked generation, people were cut to the heart, and they came. And the Bible says there in verse 41, so those who received his word were baptized and were added that day about 3,000 people. Wow. What do we do with 3,000 people? I don't know. I don't know what they did with 3,000 people, but people just start, stood up. 
says, I can do this. All right, good. I can do that. Fantastic. Because we need a daycare. We need children. We need youth. We need people here. You know, we need, we need groundskeepers. We need people to work on building. I can do that. And everybody just started volunteering, giving. A, well, here's what happens. Here's what happens. In verse 42, genuine fellowship. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. Here are the apostles' teachings right here, what Jesus Christ has given us. And I share the word of God with you, not because it's my word. I share what God's word says. And I'm trying to share this with you because we want to develop a genuine fellowship. And then in verse 43, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs are being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in what? In common. Fellowship. They were in koinonia, this commonality. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And guess what? And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You cannot stop this unstoppable movement. Once it takes off, it just takes off. And this fellowship, this joining together, this commonality that everyone had together. You see, when, we, when, we, when you see this in, in the bottom of your outline, 2 Corinthians 8, 3 and 4, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Nobody had to beg them. Nobody had to ask them. Nobody had to say anything. Don't know if you've noticed anything, but you know... If you've been here for quite some time, we don't ask you to give. We don't, we're not begging you. We're not saying, you know, we can't turn on the lights. We, you know, if the lights don't go on, the lights don't go on. We'll just meet in the dark. Amen? We've got plenty of sun outside. I mean, if it gets warm, we'll go outside. We'll put fans on or something. You know, we'll do. We'll, we'll do. But God has been gracious. He has been so gracious to us. And he provides for us in so many different ways. Just the other day, someone sent us a check for 800 bucks. Out of the blues. Here you go. Something that we thought you might need. We didn't really need it, but hey, well, we're going to put it to use. Uh, it just People send us monies from, from different places when they hear about our ministry and what we're doing here. And plus the generosity of, of the church, of North Park Baptist Church. Because you see that God is, going to do, is doing something here. For they gave according to their means, and I can testify and beyond their means, of their own accord. Begging us earnestly for the favor of fellowshipping, taking part. In the relief of the saints. That's that word again, koinonia, in taking part. They wanted a fellowship. Now, how can I fellowship with you? I want to fellowship with you. I want to be able to take part in what you're doing. Well, we go back up to verse 5 of the of Philippians, of our main verse that we're looking at. When Paul says, I thank my God. Now, now look at this verse. Now look at this verse in light of what we just said. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership, fellowship in the gospel. Paul says, you know, I, I'm just overjoyed. Uh, you know, yeah, I'm in prison, but I'm so glad that you guys have fellowshiped with me for this gospel. We're going to talk about joy because this, gospel, this, this epistle has a lot of joy in it. And it's called the, the gospel or the epistle of joy, the letter of joy. And it's not joyful as we would think. And, and Paul says, rejoice. And I say again, rejoice. He'll say that much later. 
We'll talk about that even more so. We'll talk about the gospel. We've proclaimed the gospel. We've shared the gospel, the good news. You have to know what the bad news is before you can know what the good news is. But bottom line is this, is when we think about what Paul is trying to get across here to the people in Philippi, the circumstances that they were in, the circumstances that he was in, he was just excited to know that, you know, I got people around me that, and I'm praying for them because they've become partners in the gospel from the first day until now. From the first day until now. I can tell you that we have people that have been partnering with us from the first day that I've met them until now. That throughout various parts of the Inland Empire, we have people, you might, you might have met uh, Rick and Peggy. They come every once in a while. They, they partake in all our, you know, a lot of our fellowships, and they love it here. The only problem is that they live up the hill. This is, you know, if we lived down the hill, we'd be there, you know, but, you know, the traffic and all these other things. And, and I told them, don't let that stop you. Come on. <laughs> they're, they're already in their... Uh, retirement time, but uh, you know we really appreciate them because of their partnership. I pray for them all the time because of their partnership in the gospel. I pray for many of you that still send in your, your financial support, though you cannot be here. I pray for your partnership in the gospel. I pray for, for those of you that are able to because of your partnership in the gospel. Paul was just excited. Though he was in prison, he was excited about your partnership, their partnership, their fellowship. See, genuine fellowship deals what we have in common when we're when we're actually talking about Jesus Christ sharing the gospel partnering together to further the kingdom of God that's when we become one body paul said it best one body we are one body with many members just like your body has many members some are hands some are feet some are eyes some are mouth not everybody can be a hand not everybody can be a mouth not the ear can't say to the mouth how come i'm not a mouth you know then we'd have one big mouth you know <laughs> So, yeah, I guess, I, I, guess I, I fall into that category. You know, there's people that, want to, that's the people that don't want to do anything. I don't do anything. I just want to hide. Even those of you that don't want to stand out in front, you're very important. Matter of fact, in the rest of this chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul makes a very good point. He says, you know, there's some parts that are noble and some that are ignoble. You know, I mean, they're not as noble as the noble ones. You know, like the head, the eyes, the mouth, and all that other stuff. The noble pieces of, of, of the body. But, you know, what about the spleen or the liver or, you know, those things, you know, that you can't see? Those things, those aren't really noble, but have you ever thought about what would happen if you did not have a liver? Or if your liver went bad? Or if your liver one day says, yeah, I'm the liver, but I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to sit here and do nothing. Come on, feed me. Feed me. I'm not going to work. I'm not going to process any protein. Or anything. But what would happen? Yeah. You know exactly what would happen. And you see, beloved, that's what seems to happen sometimes within the fellowship of the church. Some people believe because they're not the most important part or they don't stand out. But every member is vital. Every member is vital. And if, you stub, if I stub my little toe, the rest of my body is going to feel it. And if something happens in your life, the rest of the body should feel it. And that's what genuine fellowship is. One body being one. Let me ask you to stand We're going into the book of Philippians with an understanding of what Paul is saying as far as our fellowship is concerned and how this partnership is going to play out and how this partnership is played out in Philippians and how it can be played out here in our church. We're going into this, this book of Philippians understanding that joy is more than just being happy. And though everybody seeks happiness, it's even written in our Constitution that you have the right for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And they bring it into the church and they say, you know, 
our Declaration of Independence says that I, I have the right to pursue happiness. So therefore, I need to be happy. God, you need to make me happy because, well, doesn't God want me to be happy? No, he wants you to be full of joy, which is totally different. See, happiness, happiness is determined by your happenstance on what's happening around you and how things are working out for you. And uh, I can point to you many, many, many different places where I know that you're not happy. I mean, if you're driving north on the, two, on the 15, they're driving you know, west on the 91, you know, driving, yeah, early in the morning on the 10. You know, not very happy places, right? Even the happiest place on earth, which is what? Yeah, even the happiest place on earth. The moment you walk in there, you're already 500 bucks short. How can this? And then, and then you got to eat another couple hundred. Geez, you leave there spending at least a thousand dollars. You know, the happiest place on earth isn't even the happiest place on earth. You see, happiness has to deal with your happenstance, but joy, beloved, is from inside. And Paul had this joy. He had joy in the darkest places. The Book of Philippians is going to help us to see how we can have joy in darkness. Father, thank you once again for bringing this joyful book, this joyous book, Lord. Uh, of Philippians to us so that we can read it and ponder it and go through it, understanding this, this joy that Paul had with the people in Philippi because of their partnership with him in the gospel and how it relates to us and how we too can find joy in darkness. And, and Lord, it seems to be getting darker. And this crooked generation, this, these times that are dark right now, we should not have any part with it, any partnership with it. What we need to do is grow closer together and grow in one, as one body. Lord, our church is in dire need of so many different things, and I know that you're bringing people here just for that. And I pray, Father, that you help us to, to see and understand what it is that you're doing. And thank you, God, for being patient with us. So, Father, I pray that as we leave this place, we start this month, May 1st, with, our, with a new understanding of our fellowship and how it is that we are to Live that out in our life. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for all that you do. Continually pray for those around us, those that aren't here, and for those that continue to come, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone says, amen and amen. All right. Thanks. Stick around for a moment. Oh, yeah, for the Lord's Supper. That's right. This, and I, say, I, I wanted to save this for last. Thank you. What we're going to do here is Everyone uh, that is going to partake of our communion today, it's open communion. All we ask is that you have a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and understand that you have, um, you're doing this in a worthy manner, what Paul says. That we don't want to do this with any, uh, if you're not saved, you know, for one. Also, if you don't have a, uh, if you're not, if you're not saved and if you're not willing to uh, ask for forgiveness for the things that you have done, then, you know, we ask that you not partake of it. But partake of us, with us, in this open communion. And I'm going to ask everybody to come in this way, straight to the back, grab a little cup and a wafer in a little plastic container. Last, um, last month on, in April, we celebrated Seder, and we went through the whole Passover meal. And we saw where Jesus Christ shared that meal with his disciples for the last time. Where he took the juice, or the cup of redemption. And where he took the bread, the afikomen, or the bread of affliction. 
It's not just a random act that he just one day picked up some juice and some bread or some wine and some crackers or whatever. It, it was intentionally done within the Passover meal. And it showed us what Jesus Christ, what this really signifies and how important it is to us now. And it really signifies what this means. They've always have eaten the bread of affliction and they've always drunk out of the cup of salvation. And when Jesus Christ said, these are me, this is me. All this, the time that you've been celebrating this Passover lamb, that's me. This blood of redemption, that's my blood. This is my new covenant. That bread of affliction that you've been eating all these years, that's, that's my body. And I want you guys to be one. <clears throat> and so as he prayed for them, he says, this is what you have in common. You, we call this communion. We call this a sacrament. We call this the Lord's table. Because we share this together with one another. A big part of fellowship is this commonality, this communion that we have with one another. And this Lord's table that we share together, we recognize that Jesus Christ died on the cross. It forces us to look backwards to the cross, but it also points us forward to the day that we'll be able to share this with Him. He says here, um, He says, For as, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, looking back until He comes, looking forward. I'll, uh, pray, for, I'll pray for the bread. He says here in verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So I'm going to pray, give thanks, and then we're all going to break it together. And after I say amen, we'll break it together. And then the, the cracking of the wafer and the echo throughout the sanctuary ought to remind us of the lashings that He took for us. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this wafer, this bread of affliction that represents the body of Jesus Christ. As he took it from that, the, the unity bag, and he, and he dispersed it, and he broke it, and they broke it in pieces, and they passed it around, representing your body on what you were going to do that night. And we thank you for how you laid your body on that cross, and you did so willingly, like a sheep that went to slaughter. You did not open your voice. So, Father, thank you once again. Bless this way, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, thank you for this juice that represents the blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you for uh, just offering that blood. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for being willing to be our sacrifice. How you substituted us for you. How you atoned for us because of who you are, the perfect Lamb of God. Father, we know that this juice is a replication. It's a, it's a picture of that blood. The consistency and the color reminds us. And so we pray that you bless this juice and bless the vine that it came from. We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone says... Amen. Thank you once again. This concludes our time of service here. Please meet us next door so we can fellowship, shape, <laughs> ship shape, yeah. Fellowship ourselves a little bit more. Amen. Thank you. I'll be up here for a moment if you like.